This has already been a wonderful service, hasn't it? I, I was walking in and said to someone, it doesn't get any better than this, thinking of the baptism service we just experienced and what a blessing that is to, as a body, watch and experience the public profession of faith in Christ by these individuals. And they are forever with the Lord uh, from this day forward and even before today when they gave their heart to Jesus, they now belong to the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. Amen. This is a great day. It really is. It's a great day in the life of our church. Um, I think tomorrow, uh, Guy and Jan Conti celebrate their 61st anniversary. Is that right? Stand up, the two of you. want to recognize that. Isn't that wonderful? 61 years tomorrow. So all of us younger couples, uh, you see how I included myself in that? Uh, if we need advice on how to stay married, we need to talk with Guy and Jan. They've, they've accomplished quite a bit. And uh, so that's exciting for them. Uh, also, I just want to recognize the parents of the boys from Teen Challenge that are with us today. Can we give thanks to God for all of them? Amen. Always good to have you. And, uh, and it's a blessing to just experience with you. Uh, some of you experience your child's baptism today. And that's a great, great day for you as well. Uh, also, two of the boys graduated last Friday, Samuel and Dalton. And uh, so that's, they're no longer here. They've graduated. They've moved on. And we need to, yes, amen. That's a big deal. Continue to lift up these two boys as they go forward. Uh, also today in service for the first time in a long time, uh, Barbara Thomas, who had a brain bleed up in the up in the New England area, and for many uh, for a long time she was laid up. Well, she's here today, Donna or Donna. I'm sorry, Barbara, stand up if you will, please. There's Barbara Thomas right there. Isn't that wonderful? Great to have her back. Amen. We've been praying hard for you for a long time, and we'll continue to pray as you recover. It's wonderful. Let's continue to remember uh, uh, one of our elders, Bill. McClellan, as he recovers up in the uh, Holmes Regional Hospital in Melbourne, and uh, he continues. It's a slow process of recovery, but he continues to show promising signs, and so we thank God for that. Uh, I don't know, there's something different about Bureau Bible Fellowship when you don't have that laugh, that loud laugh, and that gigantic uh, hug. You guys know what I'm talking about. When you've been hugged by Bill, you don't forget it. Amen. Praise God. Well, we could go on and on with the good things that have been happening in our church, but we have to certainly recognize all the fathers that are present today. This is Father's Day. This is a very significant day, a day when we honor and we thank God for the fathers that are in this room. And uh, even those that are not here, those that have passed on, our fathers who have passed on, you want to remember them. This is your opportunity to pay tribute to them. You've come to church. You've, you've come to honor them. So dads, if you will, if you're here today, if you're a father, please stand up. Would, would you please stand up if you're a dad? Come on, get up. Those of you who can, wonderful. Awesome. Amen. Uh, the world is not the same without dads. Now, of course, the, the same would be true of mothers, right? But this is dad's day. And the reality is uh, there are millions, I'm not talking hundreds of thousands, millions of children in the United States alone 
who do not have a father image in the home. Millions. And only time will tell the havoc that that will raise up in the lives of those kids. Did you know that for those who are fatherless, their chance of, of uh, suicide is doubled without a father in the home? I could go through a litany of statistics of the impact that a father has on his children. And today what I'd like to do, instead of giving you a bunch of social science percentages and statistics, I'd rather just let the Bible speak. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 16. We're continuing in our verse-by-verse -verse study. But the beautiful thing about this passage today is how it relates something that every father, in fact, will broaden that every man and every woman, but especially to the men today. We're going to see Paul and Silas in a predicament that none of us have ever had to face, that I probably, nobody here. And we're going to learn what it means to be a spirit-led man of God. To walk by the Spirit through life. You want to lay down a legacy for your children? Be a man who walks by the Spirit of the living God. And we're going to learn five things today, quickly. We're going to learn five things that will absolutely happen in your life if you are a man of God walking by the Spirit. And I have uh, been down all week with sickness. So many of our members of the church have been sick the last few weeks. And so I've been down. I've been careful today not to get too close to anybody. I feel like I'm over uh, the contagion part of this, whatever I'm facing. But uh, it's not COVID. I tested negative for COVID. Yes, you got these days, man. You mentioned sickness, and everybody in their mind goes to one thing, right? Um, now it's just in my head, in my eyes. Uh, if I look tired, I am. And. I told the elders this morning in a text, I said, fellas, I could really use your prayer. I said, I'm really struggling with my ability to, to, to think and then to speak. It's just in my voice. Uh, maybe you can hear it. But uh, I said, that's not a good combination for guys who are going to deliver the word of God, you know, that you can't think and you can't speak. But uh, God's faithful, and I know he's going to get us through this. So... As Christian men, we're called to walk by the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what Jesus told his disciples. He said to them, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when the Spirit of God comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. Well, guess what? The Spirit has led them through Jerusalem, through Judea, through Samaria, and they have just reached last week in the first part of chapter 16 in Acts, they've reached Philippi, which is the corner, the edge of the eastern side of the European world. So it's happened. Everything the Spirit said has now happened. And I think what's important is that if you want to be an effective man of God, and I'm speaking to fathers first, and then we're speaking to all men. And ladies, everything we're saying today also includes you, okay? If you want to be an effective man or woman of God, you must commit to follow God no matter what the cost, no matter where he leads you. You must be faithful and committed to God. 
No matter what the cost, no matter where it takes you, you've got to get there. What is the lasting impact you want to leave on your lives of your children? That in all things, God is faithful. If you leave any message for your children when you're gone, that in all situations, God is faithful. Can I hear an amen from the men on that? That is the lasting legacy you want your kids to to have in their life. One of the most reassuring passages in the entire Bible is found in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Either that's true and we walk by it with confidence and trust God each and every day, wherever he leads, whatever he wants us to do, or, or we walk away from God. I believe it's true, therefore I'm going to hold it up in my life as a standard. This passage that we're looking at today describes God's sovereign rule over the entire universe. Our God has the ability to bring good results out of bad circumstances. Let me say that again. God can bring great results out of terrible circumstances. That's what Romans 8.28 is all about. Doing this, if you live by the word of God, if you commit to be led by the spirit of God, it will bring several things upon you. There's actually five things that will happen to you. The one of them is persecution. There is no way you can be a man of God and not face persecution. Because the spirit of the living God is going to have you speak boldly the truth of God's word. Even when people revile it, those who hate God are going to hate you for saying it. But you must speak it. You must be honest who you are in Christ and what Christ has done. You do it in a loving way. You never do it with, with, uh, with an obnoxious attitude. You never do it with a, a sense of belligerence. You, you, you speak God's truth in love. And when you do, you will be persecuted. It's just going to happen. It doesn't matter who you are, okay? Psalm 76, verse 10. Let me tell you the result, though. This is the good result. Psalm 76, verse 10. Surely the wrath of man shall praise you. Wow. Speaking of God, those who are mad at God on this earth will ultimately end up praising him. What does that mean? In the Old Testament, Joseph was sold into slavery by his jealous brothers. Yet God raised Joseph up to a position of prominence, being only second to Pharaoh in command. How did God make the wrath of man praise him? Okay, take your Bible quickly, turn with me, Genesis chapter 45. Genesis 45, underline this passage. This is powerful. This really does express the sovereignty of God and how God takes evil and turns it into something good. Joseph was sold into slavery by his jealous brothers. He was ultimately thrown into prison. And ultimately, God raised him up and put him in the second seat next to Pharaoh. Genesis 45, verse 5 says, And now do not be, he's speaking to his brothers, his wicked brothers, who now have figured out that this is the second in command. We've come to, to uh, Egypt to get our grain because there's a seven-year famine on the earth, and they're two years in. They have nothing to eat. So they come all the way to Egypt, and when they get there, guess who they run into? Joseph, the brother they sold into slavery. 
And Joseph said, and now be not distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. God let all that happen, all the stuff I've been through, all the adversity, all the setbacks, so that you might have grain to take back to my father and, and, and our people. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five yet years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. When you face the next trial that blows in in your life, are you able to say, God allowed this to happen? God caused this to happen in many situations. You've got, as a Christian who walks by the Spirit, you've got to believe nothing is a surprise to God. He is sovereign. He sees it. He knows it. Many times he causes it, and he always allows it. If it happens, it's because he's allowing it. This is what Joseph is saying to his brothers. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Look at chapter 50. Go five chapters over. Verse 20, chapter 50. Joseph said, as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You see, the purpose that we that we live for on earth, ultimately, is to bring glory and honor to God, not to self. The purpose of earth is not for you to accumulate for yourself. The ultimate purpose is for you to bring glory to your heavenly Father and fulfill his will through your life. And that means that you're going to face trials and suffering and setback, and you're going to have difficulties it's going to happen. For most of you here, it's already happened, and it'll probably happen again. But God's using all of that. You can't see how God's working in it, but that's what he's doing. You remain faithful. You continue to walk by the Spirit of God into the dark days and let God use those days to bring glory to his name and to provide for others. You don't know the people that will be saved because they watched how you face the storm. It matters how we face storms in life. In Acts chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 12, we see the persecution hitting heavy against the early church. Yet in every single one of those circumstances in those chapters, the church was only strengthened and grew through the persecution. So what happens in chapter 16? We see still another illustration of God's ability to turn a bad circumstance into a spiritual victory. What happens to Paul and Silas? It's really hard to read, honestly. But through the pain and suffering, God brings salvation to an entire household. The chapter begins with what led to harsh treatment of these spirit-led disciples. Paul's miraculous deliverance of this demon-possessed girl. Let's pick it up at verse 16, chapter 16 of Acts. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, "'These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation.'" Now, this is a servant girl who is demon-possessed. 
This is not the girl speaking. This is the demon crying out. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Let me tell you, you might be an atheist. Let's say you're an atheist. Well, guess what? Demons even believe in God. They know the truth. They're opposed to it, but they know it. It's not a, it's not a lie. It's not a false religion. And this she kept doing for many days, verse 18. Paul having become greatly annoyed. You see, while the demon was speaking the truth of God, it was disruptive and annoying. See, it's not about saying God is the most high. It's when you say it. And it's coming from a heart that has been changed by God the most high. The demon's not changed. The demon's saying it in a way that is disruptive to the ministry that Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke had brought to the people in Philippi. He's being disruptive. Paul had enough. He was greatly annoyed. Look what it says. And he turned and said, not to the, de- not to the girl, she's possessed. He speaks to the demon in the girl. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Come out of her. And it came out that very hour the girl was set free. Basically, he was preaching and this demon kept disturbing and interrupting. Even though he was speaking truth, he was trying to disrupt. And Paul had had enough. And he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, shut up and come out had enough of you. And that very hour, that demon was overpowered by Jesus Christ, whom Paul preached. Remember the story of the seven sons of Sceva who saw Paul? They saw the ministry that he could actually cast out demons. And the apostles could do that in that day. There was a purpose behind it, to manifest and show the glory of God to the people that were lost. And these seven sons of Sceva saw what Paul had done by casting out a demon. They found a man who was demon-possessed, went up to him and started trying to cast him out. In the name of Paul, or in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, he's not our Jesus, but we know what Paul did, so we're going to do it like Paul. In the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, come out! That demon said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? And took out after those seven brothers, listen, and beat them to a bloody pulp and left them naked and half dead. Satan does have power. What he doesn't have power over is Jesus. I love that. Now, let's remember that Paul and Silas have now made their first beachhead in Europe to this very important city of Philippi, which is also a Roman colony. And along with his fellow missionaries, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, the writer of this particular book of the Bible, actually in this chapter twice says, we made our way from Troas to Philippi. Now Luke is on the journey with them. And he evangelized a group of women, both Jews and proselytes. Remember, they came to the ladies by the river. That's where Lydia got saved. Praise God. No doubt baptized right there on the scene. And one of the proselytes, Lydia, was converted along with her household, and the Philippian church was born on that day. These guys came all the way from Antioch and Syria. All these miles, they get there, and the church is started in Philippi. Well, what do you think that did for Satan? 
So Satan always uses, write this down, Satan always uses a two-pronged attack of believers, especially those who are led by the Spirit, those who walk by the Holy Spirit. You can be a Christian and deny the Spirit, not allow him to do his work through you. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. We've all done that. But when you open up and let the Spirit of God use you to bring glory to God, all of a sudden, believe me, two things are going to come your way by Satan. Here's the first attack. Infiltration. Write it down. Number one, infiltration. He attacked the church from the inside. What did he do? He plants a girl who's demon-possessed, and she's inside speaking truth, but disrupting the work of God. Satan will always try to destroy you from within, from within your family, from within the church. That's one of his attacks, always. The second part of that attack is persecution. There's infiltration and there's persecution. Number two, attack the church from the outside. Persecution happens from outside the church. And we're going to see that next. Let's go ahead and get into it. So walking by the Spirit will produce five things in your life. If you'll walk by the Spirit, these five things, you will encounter them. Okay? If you want to lay down a legacy for your kids, fathers, <clears throat> Paul's going to give you a life lesson right here. Number, verse 19, if you will. Let me grab a drink before we get started. But when our owners saw that their hope of gain was gone... So the girl worked for these men. They were making money off of her ability to supposedly forecast the future. This demon-possessed girl. When Paul cast the demon out, guess what happened? The business just went south. They lost their business. And they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Look at that. It started with infiltration, trying to get the girl in there. Satan's trying to get the girl to disrupt what Paul and Silas are doing. And now immediately those who had lost their gain, their income, by losing this demon-possessed girl, now they, from the outside, attack Paul and Silas. And they dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates in the Greek, uh, uh, in the Roman Empire, it would be called the lictors, lictors. And these are the magistrates. They said, these men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. The advocate, they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in attacking them, <clears throat> and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep uh, them safely. In other words, don't let them escape. Make sure you don't let these guys escape. Having received this order, he put them into the inner, inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. So here's the first point. The first thing that will happen to you, you'll experience this, if you're willing men to walk by the Spirit of God every day. Okay, first Walking by the Spirit will produce persecution from Satan. You will be persecuted. It goes with the territory. We're always talking as men about, you know, pull your bootstraps up, you know, be a man, stand up, make it happen. 
You don't ever become a real man until you can stand up against persecution. This is the greatest, the hardest thing to experience, to be persecuted for your beliefs in Jesus. It's more than, than you defending your own honor or your own name. You are defending God. And when you defend God, Satan puts a crosshair on you. <laughs> you will experience persecution. The authorities at Philippi learned very quickly that no prison could hold those whom God has called. And this is really powerful to me. All that Satan tried to do to bind these men, first he tried to disrupt them in their ministry, couldn't get that done, so now he's going to persecute them from outside. They've got them locked up in stock and chain. These guys are in the deepest part of the prison, probably a dungeon. And they are literally, when they say put them in stocks, they mean take the legs, spread them as far apart as you can spread them, then put them in stocks. So they're literally sitting there in total pain. Chained up, stocked. This is what Satan does. If I can't get you to shut up, then I'll put you in a place where you can't be heard. In a dungeon, at the base of, this, of the jail. I love this though. Writing of this incident to the Thessalonians, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2.2, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God. Not boldness in self, not chauvinism, not, not, not you know, stepping up as a man. We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So having a joyous anticipation of being with Christ in heaven. In other words, even if they kill us, what's the worst that happens? We get to go be with Jesus. Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen. We don't lose in this battle. And with that, no amount of opposition could keep them from fulfilling their mission for Christ. Writing to the Philippians from prison, Paul said in Philippians 1.12, he said, Paul rejoiced that his circumstances had turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. We're thankful that we were persecuted. We're thankful that negative circumstances came to us because the gospel was expanded through it. Now, that's a way to think, men. To think that way, to live that way is to walk by the Spirit. Does that make sense to you? It helps me. What looked like an end to Paul's ministry, being locked up in stocks and chains, actually turns out much differently at the end of this letter. Chapter 4, verse 22, second to the last verse in this whole letter that we're reading right now. It says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Because of the suffering, because of the persecution, because of the circumstances, Caesar's own house was impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, Paul's always got his eyes on the eternal purpose. In the flesh, temporally speaking, yeah, we suffered greatly. But it was worth it all. Even Caesar's own house, some of the members became saved. He calls them saints. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Paul could accept whatever suffering resulted from his ministry because he viewed himself as expendable. Do you... Fathers, 
you want to lay down a legacy, are you expendable for God's use? Do you put yourself out there in risky situations, spiritually speaking, where the enemy could take what you've said, what you've done, how you've lived, and they could blow it up and make persecution on you, bring it down heavy on you? Do you do that or do you play it safe? The Bible says that these men risked their lives for the sake of the gospel. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 17, to the Philippians, Paul wrote, But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. If my suffering brings salvation, brings deliverance from sin to you, I rejoice over the suffering. So the first thing is, if you walk by the Spirit, you will face persecution. Number two, if you walk by the Spirit, it will produce praise unto God. Only a person who's filled with the Holy Spirit, letting the Spirit of God lead their life, could possibly praise God in a dire situation. It is human for us to look inward, go negative, and just look for sympathy. Isn't that true? That's our nature. But when the Spirit of God is guiding you and leading you, it bursts forth into praise to God, even the difficult things. Look at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself if we, uh, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. You see, how we respond to adversity goes a long way in our witness to others. How could these two missionaries, Paul and Silas, praise God under such dire conditions? They understood what many of us modern-day Christians have forgotten. What is that? Praising God does not depend on circumstances. That's a tough one to hear, isn't it? Because we let circumstances dictate our worship. But when you're walking by the Spirit, praising God, worshiping God is not controlled by circumstance. Paul is one of the is the one who wrote in chapter 4, verse 4 of this book. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. There's not a situation you're facing right now in your life that you cannot break out in praise before God. The only thing holding you back is the circumstance. You don't focus on the circumstance. You focus on the God who is sovereign over the circumstance. And he knows what he's doing. I don't have a clue what he's doing. I don't know what to do. But I am absolutely confident that God knows. And he's up to something. And I'm going to worship and I'm going to praise him even while I go through this battle. 
<clears throat> when you walk by the Spirit, you're reminded to rejoice in the glorious truth that your God controls your situation. Don't ever forget that. When trials come our way, we should take comfort in the truth expressed by Peter. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Stand on that promise. Let me give it to you again. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. After you suffered for a little while, you say, preacher, I've suffered my whole life. That's a little while. You say, it's my whole life. What is your life existence compared to eternity? It's not even a dot on a timeline. You can't even see it. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Do you now believe that God is in control of everything? And for that reason, he is worthy to be praised in all situations. Paul told the Corinthian believers in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Whatever suffering we endure in this world is worth it when we get to heaven. He adds in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, 9 and 10, he said, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's worth praising God over that when I am at my wit's end and I don't have an answer for the problems I'm facing and I don't know which way to turn and it's just driving me nuts, God says to me, my grace is sufficient. If you'll focus on me, I will bring you through. And more than that, and my power, it's made perfect when you're weak. When you acknowledge I can't fix this, I can't fix it. It's beyond me. So I'm going to trust God and I'm going to praise God that he's in control. And his power is manifested in my weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, for when I am weak, he is strong. And I am strong through him. The key to having joy in every circumstance of life is to be filled with the Spirit. Joy is a part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5.22. And when you yield to the Spirit's control, it will produce songs of joy. You cannot be filled with the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, and not experience joy. So if you're walking along and the only thing come out of your mouth is, oh, woe is me, that's not the song God wants you to be singing. That, just right, that is a clear indicator that you're not walking by the Spirit. You're walking out of your flesh. So change your tune. Give up on that nonsense. Get off that train. 
It's leading down the wrong path. You want to get on the train where the Spirit of God takes over and you're reminded of the greatness of your God in spite of your problems. And you start singing your praises to God. A.W. Tozer said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You got to think right thoughts. And you got to think rightly about God. And it's not up for debate. God gave us his own self-disclosure in this book. And the more I read it, the more I'm convinced that while I don't have a clue what's going on, my God knows everything. And he loves me. And he will bring all things together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Amen? You rest in that. Thirdly, proclaiming Christ boldly. When you walk by the Spirit, you will be bold. You'll speak of Jesus. You just will. Look at verse 30. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Some people have misinterpreted that. They think that the house got saved because the household got saved because the jailer got saved. That's not what he said. Look at the last verse, 32. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, the jailer, and to all who were in his house. What they were saying is, if you, if you will be saved, if you'll listen to the gospel, not only will it, ins- will it save you, but it will inspire your children and your family to look to you, your servants and everybody who lives in your house. They will look to you and see the change in you, and they'll want to know the gospel, and they too can be saved. But look what he said. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? That man's asking the right question. Why is he asking that question? Because he just witnessed these men who were singing in prison, when they're tied in stocks with their legs spread as wide as they could possibly go, in pain, and these men are singing at the midnight hour. And then they, he sees God supernaturally cause an earthquake that sets every single person in the prison free. And then all of a sudden he's thinking, man, I'm going to die. I better go ahead and take my life because the, the Romans are going to kill me for letting these men uh, be set free. And, and, and then Paul said, hey, we didn't go anywhere. We're not running away. We're staying right here. Don't kill yourself. Trust in God. And the man did. He was saved. All because they were willing to proclaim boldly the word of God. This is a simple, direct question. Sir, what must I do to be saved? And these spirit-led vessels, Paul and Silas, gave an equally simple and direct answer. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. To believe in the Lord Jesus means first to believe he is the one he claims to be. Believe what Jesus said about himself. What did he say about himself? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man goes to the Father except through me. Jesus claimed to be the son of the living God. Jesus claimed to be God who came to earth incarnate in order to go to the cross and take on the sins of every human being and be put to death under the judgment of, and the wrath of God so that then God the Father could raise him from the dead because his payment on the cross was sufficient to, sell, to, to satisfy all the sin debt of all the men and women on the earth. You got to believe that. That's what I believe. When you believe that, the Bible says you are saved. And we still have the pool, we still have water in it. 
And after this service, I'm serious. If you want to be baptized today because in this service God has gripped your heart, you have received Jesus Christ. I guarantee you, Doug, Ray, one of them, they're more than happy to take you out there and we'll stand and celebrate and dunk you right here and right before you go home. You'll get in your car wet, yes, but man, you're going to heaven. Amen. <laughs> Amen. You know what John said in his gospel? Love this. He said, these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why God gave you the gospel. Paul summarized the work of Christ in 1 Corinthians 15, 3. He said, for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. Here it is, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Do you believe that? To the Romans, Paul wrote in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if, we confess with, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's the promise from God. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. The message of salvation was preached not only to the jailer, but ultimately preached to his whole family, and the whole family got saved. Praise God. Let me give you another result. Number four, when you walk by the Spirit, you will see with your eyes God's results. I'm not saying every time you'll see everything. Sometimes you never even know what happened. You, met, you witnessed to somebody and they rejected you. You walk away going, man, that guy wasn't open at all. Yeah, but see, you put some water down. You laid some seed in the ground. You can't see all the work that God's doing in that man's life for the next 10, 20, 30 years. But when you get to heaven, that man's going to run up to you and say, you were the one who extended the gospel to me. You risked my friendship, by being faithful to share the truth of God with me. And I eventually was saved. Thank you for your service to the Lord. God's result will be seen. Look at verse 33. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family, the jailer. Isn't that cool? Then he brought them up into the, his house and set food before them. And, and look here, here's the result that Paul got to see, Paul and Silas. And this jailer rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Isn't that wonderful when you get to see somebody come to Jesus Christ? Is that not awesome? You'll never see it if you're not willing to walk by the Spirit. God wants every one of you to have those experiences where you share Christ and somebody finally says, I want to be saved. And you have the front row seat to their salvation. God wants that for every one of us. Because you matter to God. Everybody matters to God. One last point. We'll close it quick here. When you walk by the Spirit, God will be glorified. I know some of us are like, well, no, what's the benefit for me? If I walk by the Spirit, I'll get a new car. If I walk by the Spirit, God's going to give me a hundredfold back all the money I've given to the church. If I walk by the Spirit, I'm going to get a new house. I'm going to have a second home. If I walk by the Spirit, I'm going to prosper in this earth. That's not what the Scripture says. That's what man says because man's focused on flesh, not focused on the Spirit. 
But the truth is, when you walk by the Spirit, God is the one who is glorified. And what a joy to know that you were used in the hand of God to per push his, his purposes further down the road. Amen? See, all you're doing is joining God in his work. That's what God wants from us. Look at verse 35. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported the, the, uh, these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. These are the guys who never gave him a proper trial as a Roman citizen. Paul was a Roman citizen. They immediately took their clothes off and they beat them. And now Paul lets them know, uh, you did not properly process a Roman citizen. And now the magistrates are really nervous. If it gets back to Rome, that they did not give Romans the trial that they deserve, these men could be put to death. Now Paul has them. And Paul, they, they said, well, you know, these men are letting you go now. They just, they just want you to leave the city. And Paul's like, um, no, I want to speak to these men, these magistrates. And he spoke to the magistrates, and ultimately, he came out, he left with his own terms, not with their terms, because these men knew Paul had them. And what was Paul's term? Look what it says in verse 40. So, or verse 39, so they came and apologized to Paul and Silas, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison. Did they leave the city? They visited Lydia. They stayed in the city, and they went and visited one of the ladies who was part of the, the church that they started there. Isn't that wonderful? Here they are on their terms. This is God's plan. This is bringing glory to God. What Satan meant for harm, God is going to use for good. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So they went back and ministered to the church. That always brings glory to God. When we can face trials in this life and we do it with joy in our hearts and we continue to remain faithful and share the gospel and people get saved, oh, how that ministers. It ministers to the people around you in this church when you do that. You have a ministry here to bring God the glory. And when we do that, God is glorified. Amen? Let's, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. Your word is so faithful. Lord, today I, I, I really didn't know how I was going to be able to fulfill this role of delivering the message. But God, in my weakness, you are strong. And I thank you for just letting me get through and not cough uh, up a storm here. I'm thankful for that. And I pray most of all, Lord, that your will would be done in this place today, that people would be saved, that people would make the decision to believe that everything Jesus said about himself is true. And they would believe in the gospel that Jesus came to die on the cross for their sins. And they would receive him by faith right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, don't go anywhere. Did anybody in this room, did you just pray? Did you just receive Jesus? And, and let me just take the... <laughs> Take the elephant out of the room. You don't have to get in the water today. <laughs> Maybe you want to. That's fine. We'll do it. But did anyone right now, in this truth of the Word of God, did God speak to you and did you give your heart to Jesus? Stand up.
That was you. Stand up. We just want to celebrate it. Paul and, and Silas rejoiced over the rejoicing they saw in the house of the jailer when they got saved. Anybody? All right. I'm going to take you at your word. As you go today, live it. Amen? Let's live this. Let's experience the joy of our salvation by following the Spirit. God bless each of you. Thank you for being here today. Make sure you love one another. Make sure we love the boys before they leave and the parents of the boys. Let's care about people more than we care about getting in our cars, okay? God bless.